most people are still thinking about business as if it's before the internet, as if it's still the industrial revolution. We right. have a certain way of thinking about business that we're stuck with. And essentially, it's basically a product first kind of thing. We define our business based on whatever our product or service is. So if we make and sell hammers, then we're in the hammer business. And then we're out there trying to sell hammers and we have a right. factory that makes hammers. So I call that old factory thinking. And that's what 99% of us are doing. And the problem is the marketplace doesn't reward that based on all the things we just said, all the commoditization and the bifurcation of the market and so on. So that's not working. very. And then, of course, things change so quickly, too. So you could be have hammers that are popular today, but they might not be popular tomorrow. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. So leaders, Really, really neat what's happening. I guess after you know two plus years and uh, 230 or so uh, shows, we're getting more and more um, just people approaching us and and saying, "Hey, I just love what you're up to, leaders of tomorrow, and all that you're creating in your business." And so, Bill Bishop, who owns a company and is the CEO of the Big Idea Company and the creator of the Big Idea Adventure, uh, and has had over 5,000 clients um, had uh, sold dozens of books and um, millions of, of, of books. And uh, he has also spoken uh, for, and delivered speeches to hundreds of organizations, including the MIT Entrepreneur Program, the Entrepreneurs Organization, and other leading businesses and universities. And he is He's a futurist, um, an incredible entrepreneur. Um, I, I've known Bill for, for you know, at least a couple decades, and he's worked with a whole number of my friends. And we really, really dig into how the world is changing and what he calls new factory thinking, how businesses can be built to do things in a completely unique way that will create massive, massive advantages for those organizations and those shareholders of those organizations. And knowing the leaders of our of this podcast and what they're up to, I know you'll find this conversation fascinating. One thing in advance of the conversation is I want you to be aware that good chance you're going to have to rewind a few times because, you know, or hey, sit down and I normally wouldn't request this, but sit down when you're listening, be able to take some notes because Bill is, is really going to be shifting your thinking. And, you know, we actually talk about a concept and you've probably heard it here before about the, the whole idea about thinking about your thinking. How do we think about problems? How do we think about things? And Bill literally day over day, week over week, year over year sits down with incredibly successful organizations and entrepreneurs and gets them to think about their thinking in a new and amazing way. So my one fear about this podcast is we, we just presented so much information 
And I know because Bill speaks to really, really incredible entrepreneurs all the time from around the world, um, he presents it really, really amazingly. It just may be a little bit of much sometimes. And again, recommend your rewinding, digging in and going forward with it. So please provide any feedback for me. Uh, C. Thompson at studentworks.com about any of our guests. Uh, we've got amazing new guests coming. And uh, again, the, the the podcast just seems to be picking up more and more momentum. So the the other thing that I wanted to sh- to share is is you know what I'm up to is I'm looking for amazing entrepreneurs for our program to really develop incredible leaders. So if you know of other leaders who are looking to really set themselves apart, who are really looking to do amazing things in this unbelievably transformational world that the the rate of change is changing more and more and more. And Bill and I talk about this in this podcast. And so we would love to have those people. So you could send them this podcast. You could send them to studentworks.com. You could shoot an email and connect us. So thanks so much. I really hope you enjoy all that we're up to and uh, have yourself a fantastic day. Bye-bye. So. Bill, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. I'm just so appreciative of you offering your time and your wisdom generated over decades to come and speak to our young leaders. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. the uh, opportunity. Yeah, I know. It's really yeah. awesome. And and yeah. I know we've known each other a long time and I've been part of different organizations where we've learned and and I, I've, I've seen your work and read your book. And I know... Um, you know, I know we talked before the podcast about just there's so much to sort of. I know you have so much to offer, so I re- really want to start is at the center of it is really the a, a lobster contest, and I'd love for right. you to share our amazing leaders uh, about that contest and how it really changed your thinking. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, um, well, I have this company. It's called the Big Idea Company. I started it in 1987, so it's over. It's like 30 years now. And since that time, about 5,000 entrepreneurs have worked with us in our program, and we've helped them come up with big ideas. And uh, so people often ask me somewhere along the line, you know, how did you end up with the big idea company? That's a kind of a different kind of deal. So I say, well, actually, if I had never worked as a waiter at the keg restaurant, I wouldn't be doing this at all. Like I would be, I'd be doing something else. I'd be a lawyer or something or a journalist yeah. or something like that. So um, so they said, well, tell me about that. And I said, well, it, back in 1980, I got a job at the Keg restaurant. I was at Young and Eglinton in Toronto. I know it. And, yeah. And I started off in the salad bar and then I got promoted to waiter. So that was good. And then, uh, you know, I was making good money with tips and that kind of thing. And then uh, what happened was that they just had, they one night they decided to have this contest uh, for the waiter. So the right. contest was to get us to sell the customer a steak and a lobster because right. they were always going to buy a steak, right? Right. But the the idea was to get them to buy a a lobster too because they said you know if we sell them that add on thing, uh, that's where we'll make all our profit. Absolutely. Because right? if we just sell them the steak, we're kind of breaking even. It's, it's sort of the commodity, right? Yes. So they said, okay. So the contest works that it's over three months. And uh, if you come in first place, you win a big prize. Yeah. 
which turned out to be dinner at, a, at another restaurant, which was <laughs> kind of weird. But anyway, and then and, and then uh, uh, if you came in last, they were going to fire you. Oh, wow. So there was about, you know, I guess 20 waiters or something. So so my my only real goal was to not come in last. Second last would have been fine. I didn't yes. really care. So, um, but I asked the uh, manager, I said, well, how do you sell lobsters? Like, how do you get them to do it? And he said, well, just whenever they order a steak, just ask them if they want to have a lobster with that, you know? And uh, so they said, that's called suggestive selling. If you ask everyone, you know, odds are that your numbers are going to go up, right? Because it's like a numbers game. So I said, okay. So what I did, well, that's what I I did. I just went out and people ordered their steak. I said, hey, would you like to have a lobster with that? And over three weeks, I only sold four of them. So it wasn't, I was actually in last place at that point. And and I didn't like doing it because I felt like a pushy salesperson. Right. And the people didn't like it because they thought of me as a pushy salesperson. So right. Right. Was, this was not a good plan at all. Now, uh, so at that point, I thought, well, I better change this up and try something else because otherwise I'm going to lose my job. So. So I experimented a little bit and then I hit on something that worked incredibly well. And then from then on, uh, practically everyone bought the lobster right. and I uh, won the contest. I sold 1400 lobsters and the second person sold 90. So that is incredible. So it was like this. Huge thing. <laughs> and then and, and of course the manager and the waiters were wanting to know what I was doing, like how I was making this happen. But I said, well, it's a secret, isn't it? Cause it's a contest. So, I can't, I didn't even want to tell the manager, obviously. So, so anyway, I won, I went to dinner at this other restaurant and all that. And then I just forgot all about it. Right. And, uh, but then about, you know, about around 2000, I was talking to my uncle about it. And then I said, oh, you know what? That's why I ended up becoming a big idea company. Because after that, people started coming to me and say, well, I got this thing I got to sell, you know, whatever it was can you help me like you did with the lobster? Right. So I started cooking up big ideas for them. Right. And then one thing led to another and I just, you know, started a business around it and then 5,000 of them later. Anyway. So, so then I ended up writing up from that. I inside, I wrote the book, how to sell lobster. And, you know, and that was a big book. Right. And that it really it's ba- built all around that story, basically <clears throat> along with other ones. Um, but anyway, so the, People say, well, how did you do that, right? And so what I did was, uh, now the first principle was, is that I realized, okay, basically I was just taking a very basic approach to selling. Mm, right. Uh, I was just doing, here, I have this product, the lobster. Do you want to buy the lobster? Right. And then I might talk it up like, oh, you know, it's a great lobster and that kind of thing. But I, I realized that people were turned off by that because they could see I was just trying to sell them something. Right. So, right. so there was this resistance there. So what I did was I, I just, just said, Oh, well, I'll do something different. Right. And uh, so that's a key principle. You know, it, it sounds so simple, but you know, trying different things is, is, is a good idea. And then, and then um, what I did was I said to people, I said, well, you have a choice here. We have the basic steak or you can have our, special right and they said well what's the special i say well it's a steak and lobster so would you like the basic or would you like the special so i was giving them this choice between these two things basic and special special okay and then just based on that they all said well we want to have the special right and then i realized okay well there's a few 
reasons why that worked. And that, that was really what carried me forward. Right? So the first thing was, if they order that special, then they feel special. Ah, right. Okay. And if they okay. order the basic, then they feel basic. Like they feel like okay. a basic person. So right. part of it was just understanding, well, really, it wasn't about the lobster at all. It was really about how they felt about themselves and they, who do they want to be? Do they want to be a special person or a basic person? And right. they wanted to be a special person. So it was about helping them be that. There was the value in that. And then the second thing was that it added value to the event of whatever they were doing, like a birthday party or yes, they were taking someone on a date or something. So if you were had on a date and you know, you were paying for it, you wouldn't want to communicate. Well, this is a basic date. You would communicate that it was a special date or it's a special yeah. birthday party, not a basic yes. birthday party. So, so, so that was another reason why people went for it. And then, then based on that, I realized that the uh, biggest principle of all, was that people don't actually buy products and services. They buy the idea that's attached to it in their mind about that product or service. So you've never bought a product or service based just on what it is. You've always bought something, even the simplest thing like toothpaste or something, based on the idea that's attached to it. Yeah. Right? My teeth are going to be clean. I'm going to, you know, my breath's not going to smell. You right. know, those sorts of things. Yeah. 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 And if they get into fancier things with the marketing of toothpaste, then, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be, uh, you know, really desirable and be able to meet men or women and get yes. married and all that yes. kind of thing. So, you know, it can get really pretty elaborate. So the, the point is that we, when we're out in the marketplace selling something, whatever it is, we, we need to be cognizant that we're actually selling an idea. Right. right? And then really get clear about, well, what's the idea I'm selling? And often that's when we go, well, I think it's this, but then that's just what's in your head, what right. your idea of it is. Oh, I, I'm, it's amazing. The lobster's incredible. You know, it, you know, it's an amazing thing, but that's not what the customer might be thinking at all. So, so this right. requires us to put ourselves in their mind really and understand how they're thinking and feeling about all this in, in that context. So we need to understand that because that's where all the value is created. So the point was that here I was selling a lobster, but the value that was created that made them buy it was, well, I'll be special and this will be a special event. Yeah. Um, and that was what they were actually buying. That's where all the value is created. Right. Exactly. And, and it's interesting if you think about a restaurant like the keg, it's an upscale restaurant. It's a really yeah. good restaurant. And that right. a lot of times when people go, mm-hmm. they're going to make it a special evening. You know, maybe it's a special business meeting. It's a special dinner with a, a loved yeah. one. It's a birthday party. So, mm-hmm. so that I could see how, and, and again, you're seeing it from the customer's experience. How do right. I make my evening special? Yeah. So what, how that uh, informs what I do now is I say, well, most of us are actually selling something basic. We're selling a basic idea. Right. You know, we we we've uh, think it's amazing because it's our thing, but the marketplace kind of looks at it and goes, well, that's kind of basic. So I use the analogy of a hot dog. So mm-hmm. a hot dog is, I like hot dogs, but, you know, it's a commodity and there's a lot of people selling hot dogs. So one of the ideas people get in the marketplace, especially these days, is they look at your product and service and go, oh, well, there's like a thousand other people that sell the same thing. Right. 
And so I call that the penguin problem. It's like in, in the marketplace, we're like a penguin. We look and talk the same and we have the same thing. So once the, and they can, people can see that very quickly because they go on Google or something and type in, I don't know, uh, t-shirts and they see we're all commodities, 10,000 right? yes. t-shirts and they yeah. go pick from. So then they go, okay, well, then they're thinking as well, what's the cheapest one? You know, maybe some quality issue there, but you know, they can see what the cheapest one is. So this is what makes us penguins selling hot dogs, you see. Right. And, and that and so we're selling something basic and we're out there beating the pavement or you know, pounding on the door to try to sell that thing and end up selling four of them, like I did, kind of thing. Right. So so you can make it work. I mean, I'm not saying that. And 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 you could prove me wrong in certain cases that you'd have something that was hot, you know, at least it initially that you could go wow that's really selling but most things ultimately if they're not beyond the basic become commoditized so so that becomes the idea they get of what you're doing and as soon as they feel that way then the only real question they have is well how much is it and then, and then our commoditized on price and right, your margins and then, drop yes. right and then we realize well if i'm going to get the business i better drop the price so therefore we get squeezed into nothingness here and that and that's what i've seen over and over again so you know, and if you look at any industry, that's kind of what's going on, right? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is why I say, well, what we're going to do is we're just going to add a big idea. We're going to add that special thing. What's that special thing? So basically, this is the simplest strategy in the world. This took me all these years to figure it out. But is that we say, I have the basic thing. I'm going to present that. We say, I, I have my hot dog. But of course, a lot of other people have the hot dog. And you just admit that. Right. So if you want the hot dog, I can give it to you, but you can get it other places. But I have this special thing that you can only get from me. Okay. And it's a unique thing. And then, so then they go, well, their eyes are going to gravitate to that special thing because that's more interesting. Right. So I think of that as a gourmet meal as compared to the hot dog. So what I realized too, is that everyone is capable of being a gourmet chef, but we all go to work every day and sell hot dogs. Because right. that's what we've learned. That's where we started. And we get, we can get stuck behind that hot dog stand forever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're capable of being a gourmet chef. So the trick is to say, okay, I'm going to have a hot dog stand and a gourmet restaurant. And I'm going to offer people both. And the surprise is, oh, people go for the gourmet meal, even if it's, you know, a hundred times more expensive, you know, in right. one minute, people are nickel and diming you. The next minute they're jumping all over the gourmet meal at you know a hundred times more money because i'm special i want the special thing and and bill if you can sell me the special thing i can make more money in my business or i can i can have a better night or whatever it is right exactly so that that, so because the special thing is the bigger idea so like i was in uh, london england i came across a store that there was like this little boutique thing and there was a lineup in front of it with these women. They were from China, these young Chinese women. And I could see that they were really well-dressed and everything. So I asked them, what are you doing? And she says, well, we're trying to get in there here. We come. We came from China directly here to buy this. And it would turn out to be this luggage that was like $50,000 a piece. So they were going right. to buy three wow. pieces for $150,000, yeah. you know, or equivalent in, in, in um, euros. But the... Um, you know, it's like they they had gone there just specifically to get it, and they were worried they weren't going to get wow. be able to buy it, right? And I thought, you know, they weren't buying that luggage because it was really good, you know, utilitarian luggage. They were buying it because there was 
be a lot of status attached to it. And right. they would be seen as special when they had it. You see? And they had the money. Right. So, so they had flown all that way. And then, and then the other thing they did, which is another lobster technique, really, but um, is that that company, that store created a lineup, right? Right. They said, yeah. we're just letting you in one at a time. So they weren't pushing this on people. They said, well, we have this and it's a special thing, but, you know, I'm not sure we, you'd have to get in line and see whether or not there's enough of them. So, so now it's creating a whole different thinking around this. Uh, you know, one of the principles of it is that people buy more when they worry they might not be able to get it. Scarcity. Yes. Yeah. Using scarcity. We, we may yeah. not be able to serve your needs. Uh, right. You know, why don't you hold on, you know? And, yeah. And, or, yeah. Or, or we don't give it the special to everybody. Right. You yes. Qualify. You have to qualify. Yes. Okay. Yes. You have to qualify right. to work in my program. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So the interesting part then is that once you've you know, all this, these crazy ideas about hot dogs and gourmet meal and all that. But um, the analogy is useful because then you go, well, I have my hot dog. What's my gourmet meal? Right. And then the, um, and as soon as you start thinking that, you already have the ideas already. Because a lot of times what you've been doing is giving a lot of gourmet ingredients to your uh-huh. uh, customers it for free in order to get the hot dog to sell the hot dog. So, right. you know, and so, um, so that's kind of the worst idea forever because now your margins are even worse. Right? I'll right. spend all this extra time for you, or I'll do all this extra work. I will throw in all these extra things, discounts and so on, but then it just becomes even more much and they don't appreciate those things. So we take those elements, we put them in the gourmet on the gourmet plate yeah. and we add other things. And so as soon as you start thinking about it, Oh, well, I could, I could add this and this and this, right? So like an example of this is this woman, Meta, she's a office designer. So right. I said, well, how much do you charge normally? She said, well, I charge $10,000 for my work. That's what I'm you know, usually quote, you know? Right. I said, she says, okay, so he's comfortable with that. She said, I don't want to charge any, like, ask for any more because I might not get the business. So I'm right. stuck at 10,000. So I said, okay, well, we're going to keep that. We're going to add the special thing. So we called that the... Uh, um, office alive solution it was called right all right so it was about the idea of like saying there's all these advanced things we can do to make your the office environment more productive and make people more creative in it and so on if you want to do that one it's twenty five thousand. and i said well you're not raising your prices this is good right she says that was what you're afraid of because you're just adding this extra option now right did great and then i said then we're going to do another thing we're going to add a third one which is a hundred thousand dollar one yes Okay, so now we have three. We have the basic for ten thousand, the program for twenty-five, and then the super program for hundred. So yeah. it didn't take long to figure out well, what would we give them for the hundred. Right? So then she said, "Well, I don't think anyone would ever buy that." I said, "Well, we don't have to worry about that because that's not really what we're trying to sell, are we? We're <laughs> trying to sell the middle one now." Yeah. So she went out and presented this to people, and actually, in the first month, uh, Mozilla, the internet company, hired her for a hundred grand. Wow. Right. They went for the super size one. Yeah. And uh, and she ultimately asked me, well, why did you hire me? And she said, well, you, well, you were the most expensive. We wanted so the you best. must be the best. You must yes. be the best. We wanted the best. Everybody else was under that. So this was like a, kind of a crazy thought for her because she's like, well, I was always worried about charging too much. And now if I hadn't charged that 100 grand or at least offered that, then I wouldn't even have got the business. So. What yeah. what planet am I living on now? This is a whole different universe I'm it's, living in. Here. It's interesting. It's we call it popcorn pricing. 
So uh-huh. it's 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 like you know originally the popcorn there was just one size, right. and then all of a sudden they asked you know two sizes, you know yeah. small large, and then uh-huh. they offered small, which was still the small. Then it was, and then it became medium and large, and yeah. people still buy the boatload large. Exactly. And, and at crazy margins and, yeah. and, and it's exactly that it, it drives people and it makes it now 65% of people buy the medium, you know, which is the old large because yeah. they can justify it because there's that crazy size large, you know, exactly. and, and it's just, it reframes the mind, reframes the choice pattern and the choice dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, wh- and what's happened, uh, you know, in the last few years, maybe the last five or 10 actually, but um, is that uh, this is what's happened in the marketplace. It's split into these two camps. Like there's, right. the, there's the fast food and the gourmet. There's no middle anymore. The middle right. is no longer desirable because the internet's taught people, okay, if anything is sort of, sort of strikes me as a commodity, I can go online and search very quickly to find the cheapest price. So right. on the internet, um, the cheapest price is free. Right. Okay, so everything that's in that marketplace is being compared to free, which is right. so even a dollar is like a trillion times more than zero. So you can't even do the math on that. So, yeah. so, so you're in a really bad place if you're in that place marketplace. Now. But on the gourmet side, it's actually the more money it is, the more desirable it is. Right. You see, because the higher price is actually part of the thinking around, oh, well, I, I bought this expensive thing or I went right. on this expensive trip or I had, you know what I mean? So, so, but basically what people are doing is saving money on the fast food side and then taking that savings and throwing it at the gourmet side. So if you're not on the gourmet market, you're missing out on all that money that people are throwing at that actually. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, so this is uh, just, something to bear in mind when you're out there selling your basic thing, realizing, wait a minute, uh, maybe I need to think this. Because we, we tend to think, well, I should, maybe I need to make a better lobster. Maybe I need to make the lobster bigger or yeah. change the price of it or, you know, have blue lobsters instead of red lobsters. Or, you know, like, but all of that is really missing the bigger picture. Yeah. Still well, a lobster. It's still a commodity. You know, the, the, yeah. As, you want to make as, it special. Absolutely. And Bill, as we were talking, I know I actually was leafing through a bunch of the different companies that you'd reframed. And I, uh-huh. I, 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 you know, and of course, cause it's a small world. Yeah. I know a number of the number of your, your clients, uh, right. you know, a bunch of EO members. And I remember, uh, listening to your webinar as well about the, the Australian, uh, landscaping organization. And that was a really fascinating story as well. Just like about reshaping uh-huh. their their brand, so I'd love you know just for our leaders, just you yeah. know you know how else have you shaped you know and made an impact on all the thousands of clients you've had? Yeah, so so um, one of the things that is really important to understand is that the way that you, we used to sell lobsters doesn't work as well now as it did before, and there's a new way of doing it. Okay. Okay. Just to keep using that lobster idea. So I wrote a book called The New Factory Thinker. Right. And essentially, I was looking at the marketplace and realizing, okay, well, most people are still thinking about business as if it's before the internet, as if it's still the industrial revolution. And we right. have a certain way of thinking about business that we're, we're stuck with. And essentially, it's basically a product first kind of thing. We define our business based on 
whatever our product or service is. So if we make and sell hammers, then we're in the hammer business. Right. And then we're out there trying to sell hammers and we have a factory that makes hammers. So I call that old factory thinking. And that's what 99% of us are doing. Okay. Okay? But there's a, and and the problem is the marketplace doesn't reward that based on all the things we just said, all the commoditization and the bifurcation of the market and so on. So it's not working. And then of course things change so quickly too. So you know, you had you could be have hammers that are popular today, but they might not be popular tomorrow. Right. We want screwdrivers tomorrow or something, right? Yeah. Or nail guns, or maybe they don't even 3D printing or something. So so the world changes very quickly now. So the, mar- the landscape's changed, but our thinking has stayed the same. Right. Because it's so embedded we don't even think about it. So I started realizing that there was another way of thinking about business and the economy that the marketplace is really rewarding that certain companies are using like amazon google facebook and and, and so on and um and they're yeah of course they're like they're in the lobster concept so they're not telling people they're using this way of thinking right of course you know but it but it and i call that new factory thinking mm-hmm. right and essentially what it is 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 that instead of thinking first about the product we think first okay who's my customer and then i'll build a value hub around them and it'll all be predicated on some big idea. So the value hub is, well, if I'm selling hammers, well, I could also maybe sell them screwdrivers and, you know, uh, training programs and uh, insurance and food and, you know, holidays and cars and everything else. Because that's what Apple's done and Google has done and Facebook has done. They, they, they've got a relationship with all these customers and they built this value hub around them. So this is very uh, useful thinking because it starts to expand your mind beyond just your commodity. This is how you can really start coming up with some amazing things. So the, the, the fellow that you mentioned, his name's Nick Bloor. He's from Australia. So he had a, a company there that did, did um, property maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. Big company there. And uh, so he said, yep, that's my old factory. I'm selling hot dogs, all that stuff. I'm a penguin. You know, he was successful, but he was sort of stuck, right? Yeah. He said, okay, we're going to keep that, but we're going to add something new. So what we did was we created the IVM program. This was his new factory. Okay. okay. And uh, essentially, it was based on this software that they had that they used for themselves. It was like their logistics software. Okay. So what they did was they went to all the cities in Australia and said to them, look, we have this IVM program which was a membership program, not so much the software, but it's a membership program. You can join it. It's free. Level one is free. We'll give you the software. You can use it to manage your logistics for your contractors and stuff if you want. Right. And we'll get it all set up. And then, so they all went for it. And then he said, okay, now if you want to go to level two and level three, that's 50,000 a year, 250,000 a year. And at that level, we integrate all your suppliers into that system. And they have to pay us for the training and the integration and so on. But that'll make your system even more robust and efficient, right? Right. So they said, great. So they signed up for that. And then they went out and they started, you know, integrating these other companies, which a lot of them were actually their their competitors. Right. <laughs> their old factory competitors. Which, right. Which was an, a different way of thinking. So, so I say, there's just one example of how these two ways of thinking are different. The old factory, we go... Oh, well, I'm competing against all these other people. 
But a new factory, I'm thinking, oh, I'm transcending and then I'm cooperating with them. I'm turning them actually into customers. Right. I created a platform now. Right. So, so that the whole, all the, the number of big ideas now that we can create has gone through the roof because the, these new things are possible with the world we're living in because it's a network essentially. So right. anyway, so they put set this up and it worked so well that he ended up selling his old company, to, I believe, to his partner. And then he said to them, he said, listen, if I have anybody that wants Rescut, um, I'll send them to you, okay? Like if one of our members needs that, I'll send them. But I, I just want 10% of your gross billing right. for that, if you, for that, uh, that privilege. They, they said, oh, well, great, you know, great. So he told me, he said, well, now I make more money from my old company than when I owned it. Yes, exactly. 10% gross. Like, right, because wow. he's getting yeah. it off the, you know, he's getting it with right the off really, the top. Right off the top, he doesn't have any of the worries or the risk or anything. And then he said, you know, he said, I, he said, I'm getting this old factory, new factory thing because he said the old factory thinking was, oh well, you do something, you get paid for it, like right. you cut grass and they pay you for it. That's how you make money. He said, but in this case, he said, I make money when grass gets cut. That's a different way of thinking. But I, I never even imagined such a thing. So I wasn't even thinking about these kind of businesses because I didn't even, wasn't even on my radar, you say. Right. Anyway, so so that he was very happy with that. And you, know, and you can see how that could be so much more profitable and scalable and, and so on than the old factory. Definitely, right? I can okay. see that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is why... You know, nowadays, this is the kind of thing I'm doing a lot with people. It's like, on the one hand, we're trying to sell lobsters, but now we're going, well, maybe we should be in the business where whoever sells the lobsters, we make money from that. Right, right. Now, we're, now we created a platform that's, you know, the, the seafood platform and anyone trying to get, wants to buy seafood, they come to it and we're selling everyone's seafood and we're making money from all the waiters now or all the restaurants because not just from. Us, you see. Anyway, so that's very exciting. Then, because it's it's so possible, and you know, and once I start showing people that way of thinking, they get all kinds of ideas they hadn't gotten before. So, so that's why these days it's been really, really interesting. All the different things that we've been involved with, one hundred percent. And I know um, both you and I uh, did a course with uh, Dan Sullivan, the, the strategic mm-hmm. coach, and and mm-hmm. and I know Dan. Dan talks about, you know, you really want to think about your thinking and the, the, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, I guess the most successful people in the economy and the most successful people really in the world, they think a lot about their thinking. And I can right. tell that's something that you do and you help your clients think about their thinking. And so then again, they're the same business. And, and again, I, I see on your, 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 your business, it's like the same business, but it's framed differently. And mm-hmm. so that, mm-hmm. you know, clients just look at your business differently. And in many ways, you know, we've been tremendously influenced by Dan, you know, our student works management program, you know, we're, we're in a commoditized business, but we just do it completely differently. So we're not commoditized. We're not commoditized. We're making great margins and our students make great margins and it doesn't make sense. And it's because we're not doing it the same way other people are doing it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And but I think to your point is that it all started with having a different way of thinking about things. Yes, yes, right? exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So so yeah, I say the biggest innovation we need these days is not 
technology, although technology is really interesting, is, is, is an innovation in how we think, an innovation mm-hmm. of our mind, right? But we need to rewire our minds to think in a different way because we're living in a different world here. Yes. Right? Okay. Exactly. And, and, and the biggest thing that's changed is that the last 250 years, we all basically worked on an assembly line. Okay, so whether I actually like I used to work at Molson's in the summer and I was on the assembly line making beer. Yeah, that was that was fine. And, you know, but that was assembly line or working in a restaurant. So like an assembly line, you know, or mm-hmm. an insurance yeah. company's an assembly line. It all businesses were basically structured that way, like assembly line. Okay, so yeah. when you're in assembly line, you think of things and your brain gets wired a certain way. But yeah. now we all go to work somewhere else. We all go to work on the Internet essentially yeah. we're all yes. working on the internet and that's a network mm-hmm. and that's a completely different thing that's like a you know a net right it's a net <laughs> literally or a web and that that's a different uh relationship we have with what we're doing and who we're doing it with you know so in that environment uh it requires a whole different set of skills that we didn't have before right, right? and uh so therefore that's the underlying reason why this new way of thinking is needed, right? Yeah, it yeah. It, it, it is. And, and, you know, one of the things that I see more and more of is there's just an enormous disparity between people who figure it out mm-hmm. and people who don't. And again, yeah. that old factory thinking versus new factory thinking and unique processes and a unique business approach, et cetera that makes all the difference. And, and I'm sure our leaders are listening, Bill, can you give me some more examples so I can kind of, you know, sort of think, you know, again, be thinking differently because, because if, if I know the leaders listening to this, uh, podcast, a whole bunch of them, you know, maybe working in one business, but they're thinking about another's, you know, how could I, how could I go and again, do something differently in a different way. So where else have you helped uh, you know, your amazing clients do different things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, there's a fellow named Jeff Calibaba, and I've done a lot of work with him over the years, but uh, about 20 years ago, um, he had a company called Access Medical. So they were a distributor of medical supplies to emergency services, like right. ambulances and stuff. And uh, so he got the con. He got a contract from Medtronics, which is a big company in the states, uh, to sell defibrillators right. in Canada. So this is when these new these public access defibrillators, those small, you know, personal items, came out. Uh, so he got this uh, contract from them. So uh, initially, he thought, well, this is going to be great because everybody's going to need these, and the price is four thousand dollars, and so on. But he quickly found out, okay, there's eight other companies selling these kind of things, and the price is already dropping. So it went that got down to about a thousand dollars. Wow. Pretty fast. Right. Okay. So, uh, so he thought, okay, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to lobster this one? So, (laughs) okay. So what we did was we created the heart save awareness program. And I've seen that. I've seen that brand. Heart save awareness program. So he went to all of the different cities in Canada and said, we got this. We get, I can sell you the defibrillators, but of course you can get them from other people. But we have this special program called Heart Safe Awareness Program. It's twenty thousand um, dollars to do it, or you can buy ten defibrillators from us, and we'll give it to you. Right. Okay? And uh, so, practically every city in Canada 
signed up for it. And it, it was, you know, and basically what they were doing was helping the cities promote defibrillators. So trying to get companies to install them in their buildings and so on. Yes. Okay. And uh, so what happened was with within a year, they had were selling more defibrillators than all the competitors combined. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so much so that um, Medtronics noticed this and said, what's you doing? And they said, we want to do this in all these other countries. And he said, well, that's fine. I just have you just have to pay me a licensing fee for it. Right. So he kind of switched the tables on him now, right? Because now he's getting a licensing fee for them. And uh, uh, so they did. They rolled it out into the 40 countries. That year, uh, it won the best marketing business idea in EO in the world globally. Right. That was a big one. And, and once again, uh, what he did was he basically, and there's another way of thinking about this, okay? So he had these different tiers you can think about. So tier one, which is 99% of companies, their company is a product or service. So the defibrillator, that's tier one. Okay, yeah. So most companies are that. So just think of having a building with one floor on it for selling defibrillator. So what yeah. he did was he put a second tier on um, his business, the the heart safe awareness program. So it was an advanced program that he was offering people. That was the special one. So that was tier right. two. Okay. So So in this case, he had the two tiers. Right. That's what he was doing. So, but another example of a company that went to tier three, tier three is when you create a network. Right. Okay. So you create a network. And at tier three, this is when you're kind of trying to be like Facebook or something. Okay. Right. Sort of, sort of. Um, so uh, there's a company called Barclay Street uh, Real Estate in Calgary. Um, we worked on this last year. And, and what they created was the local advantage network. Okay. okay. So they have what they do is they manage properties like condo buildings and so on. Okay. So they've got, I don't know, let's say 100 condo buildings, you know, maybe about uh, 40, about 14,000, I think, condo owners in those buildings okay. and developments. Okay. So I said, well, that's a big opportunity there to leverage those relationships. Right. So the local advantage network basically is they offer it to the condo boards and the condo owners and say, you can sign up for this network. It's free and mm -hmm. it gives you access to all these local companies and you get 10% off their products and services just because you're a member in this condo building. It's a feature of being in the building right. or in the development. And uh, so people sign up like crazy, right? And then he, that gives them all these people that these companies want to get to. And now he's charging those companies a fee for being on this platform to basically get to those people. Right. So this is a good marketing thing for him because he can go to the condo board and say, well, if you hire us to property, property management, we will give you this network that you can provide to your, your people as a value added. Right. Well, now he's realizing, okay, I'm in a different kind of world here because I've been thinking my business property management. Right. But I could set this up for anyone, any condo board, anywhere in the world, essentially, and get companies to try to get to these condo owners. So, so there, the potential of this going into the second year is massive. Because, right. Okay. Because now he's created a network. He owns a platform. And what he's basically done is say, well, I'm in a relationship business now, not a product and service business. I'm trying to amass 
this huge number of people on my platform. And and that's why Facebook and Apple and Amazon, for example, are so big because they have so many people on their platform. Right. Why they have so much power, right? Exactly. Um, So instead of going, oh, look at them, they're too rich, we should break them up or something, I go, no, no, just create your own thing your own version of this. It might never get to be as big as Amazon, but it can get pretty big yeah. um, by bringing in members on a platform, right? So that's the three, but there's actually a level four too. Okay. Okay. What's level four? So at level four, that's the value hub, which I mentioned earlier. Okay. So at level four, there's a, a company called CJ Campbell. Well, I, actually in a way, uh, the fellow at the property management company, he had a value up too, but let's think about let's think about this insurance company. So the insurance company essentially said, okay, we're going to be a matchmaker. We're going to bring together our consumer clients. This is a property and casualty insurance company. So they had homeowners and they had businesses, right? Right. So they said, well, let's just put them together. So they said to the homeowners, um, if you sign up, you can go on our win, go win network. And it's an app and you go on there and you can buy things from these companies. And they say to the companies, if you buy insurance from us, we'll put you on this network and you can sell your products and services to our homeowners. Right. Okay? So so essentially now they've created a, a multi-sided network and they're selling products and services through that, which is which goes well beyond, of course, the insurance, right? Yeah. Maybe even a better one actually is... Uh, Company called Global Filtration in the States. So, do you know Rick uh, Goet? Do you, you remember him from? I, I've heard of him. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so he created a program called the uh, the Right Now program, and it's for the airlines. So initially, it was a program to help them find parts that were hard to find, like something to hold the wing together or something that you know if they didn't have the part, they couldn't fly the plane, right? Right. So they were they were selling air filters originally. And they said, now we're going to sell it, find hard to find parts for you. They set up a website and a membership program. And now the airlines basically come there to buy all the parts that they need, really. Wow. Um, and they have, and then the key thing with the value hub was, is that they also sell their competitors air filters now too. That's when they really made the leap to tier four, because now they were saying, okay, we're not just trying to compete with those folks. We might as well just put their air filters on here too and kind of be the Amazon for the airline industry. Right. right? So right. E- even it, during this pandemic, when the airline industry's really been, you know, under pressure, for sure. they're still doing fine because their mar- profit margin is so large right? anyway. So even if there's a bit of a slowdown in sales, they, they still make a profit. Right. 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 Because because it's not you know when you're on a very thin margin things slow down then you're underwater pretty fast right really in trouble yes. yeah yeah so this yeah. also makes it more a more stable business when you do those kinds of so that's the tier four when you have a value up so that's a lot of things to think about when you're listening to a podcast no but, it, well yeah. it, it, and that was one of the things I was going to say and I know you yeah. well you you've done so many speeches and speech you speak around <laughs> yeah. the world. So one of the things I recommend for our leaders is rewind, go, you know, take some notes, go back and think about it just because, and again, this is all about thinking about our thinking. So it's not like you're just going to be able to get this and say, oh, that's simple. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways it's simple. It's simple beyond complexity, you know, jumping Mm -hmm. through complexity. These are really simple concepts. 
and it's 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 hard to get there or everyone yeah. would be there but mostly it's hard to get there because people don't think it's possible that's actually the first the first jump is to go oh it's actually mm-hmm. possible to do it in a completely different way and like you said sell to my competitors um. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Start, start imagining things like that. Like I, I was in Edmonton and I, I gave a talk to a business group and it was hosted at a taxi company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in the middle of my talk, I mentioned Uber um, and the owner there, just the taxi guy just went ballistic and started right. talking about Uber and how much he hated Uber. And then I realized later, oh yeah, that was really over the top. And it was basically because he was mad that he hadn't thought of Uber himself. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then I always put to people, I said, well, why didn't the taxi guy invent Uber? Like it would have made a lot of sense, but see, he was, he was just thinking about the business from a very basic old factory way. We have taxis. And so he, you know, he probably spent his days thinking about, well, maybe we should change the color of the taxis to get more attention on the street. Right. Go from red to yellow or something. Yeah. Um, And so it was real marginal kind of stuff. And he wasn't thinking about the future and what might be different, right? Absolutely. So he just never spent any time even thinking about it. So what I suggest is actually the best way to do this is go, say, okay, everything I'm doing now, I'm just going to think of that as my old factory. Right. Just everything. Even if it's like this internet, high tech, artificial intelligence, God knows what kind of company, just think of that as an old factory. Right. And they go, now, above that, I'm going to have a new factory. What's that going to look like? What's that business look like? So if he had done that, he would say, okay, my taxi company is the old factory. Like we got that one done. I don't need to think about that right now. Let's think yeah. about what the new, what the future business might be. What would that be? And then he might've thought of it. Yeah. It's yeah. a simple, it, but unless you've kind of separated your mind into those two groups, you're all you're doing is trying to fix the old factory. Yeah. And, and, and maybe and you can't only, and you can't fix it, you know, and maybe it doesn't need fixing. Well, that's it, it operates just the way it does. And, yeah. and really, you need to go to a different level. And the reality yeah. is for you, Bill, it's like literally, I imagine you're having these conversations daily, weekly, monthly, annually on a consistent basis and helping people change their think, not change their thinking, think differently. Right. And, yeah. and, and you know, and, and again, I, I know uh, other Dave Ray and Jody Steinhauer and different people who, mm. who, again, you've impacted and it's come up in other conversations from other friends. Oh yeah. You know, Dave was really excited about what they created there and, you know, stuff like that. So it's, right. it's, 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 it's really, really neat. So mm-hmm. one of the things we always like to do here though, is, is talk about things that haven't gone well. So what about, how do you look at mistakes or failures or setbacks and, and how do you, how do you frame those Bill? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the two things that really hold people back, if mm-hmm. you know, and even if they have a big idea, one is that they're still caught up in the old way of thinking and they can't ever get past it, right? They're right. just their their brain just can never process this new thing. So so they just slip back into it. Um the second thing though is that they might try something, but as soon as there's even the slightest negative thing, they just fold up like a house of cards like you know and and so 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 this is why uh, i say to people i said look we got to think big and then we got to start small and we need to iterate it okay so what happens so i can get them to think big and then i say okay now the starting small is this now then they have to go okay 
I got to do this small thing. It's not that big a deal. Okay. Like it's got to be something really small, but they'll go, don't have time too busy. Like there's a bit of fear there, you know, Yeah. like when I give my talks, I get basically 10% of people are totally on board. Like they, you know, they already have thought of all this already, really. Yeah. Um, and then there's about 60 percent of people who are saying, I'm too busy. Got my old factory. Just got a text. I got to go, you know, kind of thing. And then about 30 percent of the people are actually angry about the whole thing. Like the taxi guy. Right. Yeah. Like they're really angry. So so we're really only dealing with the like 10 percent of the folks right now. It, it'll right. change. That'll change. But right now, because we're going through such a huge shift, it's about 10 percent. So there's other people are finding all kinds of reasons why they, you know, maybe later, you know, uh, we, you know, we've got to stay focused, you know, right now there, you know, there's a pandemic on, so, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so they have all kinds of excuses. Right. So, so this is, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this every day. Right. Yeah. And then within companies, there's different folks too. Like some people are the green lights, like call them and other people are the red lights and, you know, and and the, and the red lights are doing everything they can to stop this any change. Change, you know? yeah. And, and uh, so, right, I always talk about the crab pot. Is that you know, if you have a pot of crabs, you don't have to put a top on the pot because the crabs will never crawl out. Because one crab says, "Hey, I got a big idea. I want to create a new factory. I got to get out of here." They'll try to crawl out of the pot, and the other crabs will reach up and grab it and pull it back into the pot. Right? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of pressure. Uh, group think around stopping these ideas from happening right and yeah. and therefore you need to hang out with people who are outside the pot yes so if you're a crab trying to get out we'll reach out and grab you and pull you out of the pot right yeah so so part of the reason why these things often i mean i've seen oh my god people have this amazing idea but boy the crabs in their company are just going to pull them back into the pot or yeah you know and and one of the things about being an entrepreneur is there's I, I call it a a, a, a cooperative dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Okay, like it's one thing to say, okay, I want to get feedback from everyone and work it out with everybody, but at a certain point, you got to go. I'm the leader here. I'm the entrepreneur. I'm the kind of person that takes risks. I'll, I'll jump off the cliff into the water. Yeah, um, they won't, and they'll be trying to talk me out of it. So when you're an entrepreneur. You have to say, you know what? At the end of the day, we're doing this thing. Yes. And you're either here, you're either on board or not. You know. Yeah. And so that's this is when you find out whether you really are an entrepreneur. Right. Right. When it comes yeah. to this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then you know, and and so those are the people that I've had success with. The ones that are kind of well, ultimately not really an entrepreneur. You know, their name only kind of thing entrepreneur and name only what's like yeah. what is that an e you know like a rhino but in, whatever um they just they just can't do it yeah yeah no okay and, and and also as well it's it's that groups you know it's it's way better hanging out in groups of people who do this and i'm not surprised at all that i know a whole bunch of your clients right because uh-huh. i think differently we think differently they think differently and 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 they're looking for a big idea they're looking for something different how yeah. do we do that and and yeah. i know that's what we're encouraging our leaders to do so right i imagine that you're also about habits um so what key habits would someone you know a young person young leader young entrepreneur want to steal from you well, I have my uh, entre- three entrepreneur activities. Okay, that are the the key because 
every entrepreneur can get uh, basically stuck behind the hot dog stand eventually and then become like more of a manager. Okay. Right. So we have to watch out for that. So the three things I say will get you out of that always are one, do something different. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. Like you never gone bowling, go bowling. Right. Just get yourself into another place. It's, it's kind of different when there's a pandemic on, you can't go bowling, yes. but you could, I've been doing some, virtual reality bowling so that was kind of interesting so that was a different thing um the second thing is to contact someone or more than one people you've never met before and try to get a conversation going with them okay that's the second thing because we tend to get caught up in just talking to the same people all the time and then the third thing is to invest invest money in yourself yes or your company yeah actually go okay even if you know take the credit card and spend 10 grand on your credit card, whatever. Like you literally, you know, it, it could be a hundred bucks. It doesn't matter, yeah. but it's something no. that you're investing in the future. Some kind of, you know, in, in, in something like a new computer or something, right? Learning so, or a program or yeah, something. Exactly. Absolutely. So invest in yourself. Yes, and, exactly. and when you, yeah. when you do those things, it keeps pushing you forward as an entrepreneur. So I say, you know, to myself, am I managing or am I entrepreneuring right now? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and the managing is important, but if we keep doing that and not, we eventually all that entrepreneuring doesn't get done. So we always have to be thinking about, I'm doing the entrepreneuring thing. Like, you know, yeah. and what am I going to do? And those three things are sort of the three key ones that will yeah. keep you I lo- entrepreneuring. I love that. And one of the things as well that, you know, you talked about the 60% of people who are, I'm busy. I got to respond to this text. I got to go deal with this client or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those people eventually get commoditized because the market's not standing still, you know, your business, you know, is adding new flavors all the time, new books, new ways of thinking, new creations. And, and if it, if we don't, we're going to get passed by. And all of a sudden then your, your, your business, you're going to be looking to, oh my God, my margins suck. Oh, wow. We're, we're just not doing very well in the marketplace. And, and all of a sudden your entire business is at risk because you're mm-hmm. managing the business. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very understandable. It's human nature to say, okay, I got something good going on here. You know, I'm selling these hammers and it's all going mm-hmm. nicely. I just want to kind of take it easy, you know, like yep. I don't, but unfortunately that that did work back in the day like you, you could have made hammers your whole life and it would have been fine you know yes world didn't change that much but now that gets old pretty fast you know and you know and so unfortunately if you want to put it that way we have to keep innovating um which sounds like a cliche but but we, i'll say we have to keep entrepreneuring entrepreneuring uh, yes. always creating something new always now is one of the key things so one of the principles is always be creating and marketing something new. That's what you yeah. have to be doing in the world we're in now, because that's all people are really going to be interested in. No, I think you're so true. And, and again, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, we're pretty similar aged and, and, and the, the speed of change is just faster and faster. And you just hear my two girls in the background, good chance or possibly they're having a little conversation. I've got two beautiful uh, Australian labradoodles. So, um, <laughs> and they're looking for a hike. So, so I'm going to go for a hike after this last question. So, so yeah. when you think of a leader of tomorrow, Bill, what comes to mind? Well, um, leader of tomorrow. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, I actually just finished my latest book. Okay. 
It's called Dancing with Robots. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and it, it, I talk about the 28 rules for success in the new economy. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the leader of tomorrow is going to be uh, essentially someone who's good at dancing with robots. Okay. So in the sense of having that relationship with the technology in a way that combines the human and the robot in a way that's um, helpful in the world. Okay. Right. So that's a whole other talk actually, but, um, but that's going to be the key. And then, and then I talk about the five human superpowers that we're going to need. And so, so one of them is unbridled curiosity. Yes. So constantly, Another one is called embodied pattern recognition. So actually using all of our body, which a computer or a robot doesn't have, right. to see patterns, like understand problems that other people can't see and see okay. opportunities they can't see. Another one is purpose-driven ideation, okay. yes. which means that we have to be good at coming up with ideas constantly that have a purpose. You know, they're not just kind of, you know, crazy ideas. They're, they're have, they have some purpose to them. Right. Um, uh, ethical framing is another one, superpower, which is that we are looking at everything from an ethical standpoint, from not just our own ethics, but you know the common good. That yes, in the network, that's going to become very apparent. You can just see how people, you know, if cancel culture is anything, cancel culture is basically the network saying we don't like your ethical framing and we and don't want over. you in the network. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where again someone may not like cancel culture, and or being so aggressive around cancel culture, and people just aren't okay with that type of behavior. So it's over, right? And and, exactly. and everything's so intertwined. So it's just like your behavior matters, your viewpoint matters, your ethical framework matters. You know, right, and right. and and so you, and it's there's no way, no place to hide in in before no in place the old factory hide. thinker. Yeah, you know, it's you could hide. And no one would know, or maybe some people would know, but they wouldn't tell. Now right. it's now it's, it's out there in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then, and then the fifth uh, skill uh, is called metaphoric communication. Mm -hmm. So being able to communicate things that are complex uh, in a way that people can quickly understand them, using analogies and so on. So, like that's why my book "How to Sell Lobster Problem with Penguins." So that's metaphoric communication. So yeah. having those skills of talking that way isn't just like oh that's kind of fun good storytelling no no this is going to be key because the world's going to be so complicated and people are so distracted that you need to catch them and get them to understand something quickly so that's going to be another skill so so those are the five human superpowers that robots don't have yeah robots have other powers that we right. have to then work in concert with them so when you ask me about the future that's you start thinking about AI and robots and things like that. That's the, what we're dealing with here. That's what we're up. For, ten years so. from now, you look back and go, "Oh my God, there there was more change in the last ten years than there were in the last hundred years." Yeah, coming up. Yeah. So 
that's scary to hear about, but that's could be a good thing too. Well, that's, yeah, no, I, it's, and I know it's like you said, it's, it's where you sit. And if you're looking for, Hey, how is this happening for us? And what are the opportunities that, that it creates for us? And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. again, most people think the world's getting worse when in fact, in every measurable way or so many measurable ways we can actually see progress. I I believe in, in point you also to books, et cetera. Not that I know Mm -hmm. you believe that, but Mm -hmm. for our leaders, but, but unfortunately you listen to, you know, some media and some, you know, some, you know, people, there's a fear of this change. And naturally, like a lot of people don't like change, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and obviously you and I like change. You and I are interested in change. You and I, you know, again, I'm, you're really a futurist. I make up, you know, uh, you know, for me, I'm just, I love to, you know, read and, and, and listen to and speak to futurists. And, uh, and I thank you for your time with us today. Well, it was great. An excellent conversation. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so continued, continued success, and uh, I, I look, I look forward to buying your your latest book when it's uh, when it's uh, out. And and good chance, good chance. I'll, I'll look forward uh, down down the future to come come have a chat uh, with our leaders uh, uh, once it is, so we can we can learn more from what, what all the neat things you're up to, Bill. Let's do it. Okay, thanks, Chris. Hey, fantastic. You you enjoy the sunshine and uh, have mm-hmm. a great day. Cheers. Okay, take care. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye. 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 Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now, and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.